welcome to the latest episode of the Master of None podcast. I am your host, as always, Stephen Murphy. I'm joined by the regular rugby crew, that is Westy and Sam. We are back with no Connacht games to talk about, but still plenty of rugby to talk about. And some Connacht news as well, uh, which we'll get into. We have a new signing. Uh, the last the last of the signings has been announced, but before that we will, of course, get stuck into Challenge Cup Final and Champions Cup Final, where Sam will update you on the bubble status. Uh, but but we'll, we'll get into that later on, Sam. Uh, we'll check in with the lads first as always Sam how are you how was your weekend weekend was okay the girlfriend's working pretty hard now because she's a stage school teacher and they're doing their kind of end of year shows uh, this weekend and last weekend so I was on 100% dad duty all weekend but it wasn't too bad because I watched some of the golf and watched some of the rugby uh, chilled out really didn't didn't do too much I was feeling a bit under the weather on Saturday which was annoying but it didn't didn't catch or take which is great Uh, so not not too bad at all, but all in all, yeah, I can't really complain now. So once the weather starts getting better, oh, I scarified my back garden. I went all Peter O'Mahony on it, scarified it, took up the moss, put down some new seed. Uh, that was what I wedged into the hour long nap on Saturday. It it is hilarious that one of the toughest men in rugby is like super into gardening, isn't it? it More is, that he's super into grass than he's into gardening, like. He's, but like yeah then he's like scissor you know he's cutting the edges of his grass with scissors and you're like this guy will like feck you up on a rugby pitch uh but yeah I've, I've heard there's a bit of a head cold going around sam so keep your wits about you stay oh. frosty well like when you have a kid that's in crash you have a petri dish coming home every day so she's just constant runny nose sore throat tonsillitis about four times this year coughs beyond everything sometimes she eats sometimes she doesn't eat you just never know so Whatever there is between that and being a primary school teacher, you're you're getting something most weeks. That's the joys of it all. Uh, and I it lands on lands on Saturday every time. Yeah, the day you want, want to do stuff. Uh, I was doing some DIYing this weekend, thanks to Sam. Uh, the most basic stuff, of course. Sam's my sugar daddy for tools uh, and whatnot. I go down to him when I need man stuff. He's the real man in our in our house here. Uh, I did some trunking. That's been I'd say six months overdue. Sam, give or take. When did you move into that gaff? Like, oh, yeah. oh no, actually, nearly a year, nearly. A year. Yeah, a year. Every time you put up a story of you watching something, and I can just see the cables hanging down, and give me actual, like it gives me proper ick. Like, so apologies for that, but uh, yeah, it looks pretty sweet, doesn't it? Very oh, happy with it. Very happy with it. Tidy. It's, it's nice. It's a. Uh, it's straight down. Guess what I used for that? Didn't have a spirit level. You, you can. You can get an app for that. You get spirit level app. You can spirit level app, and it was pretty accurate. Uh, again, it looks nice. straight. So it looks <laughs> accurate. Anyway. Uh, and then also, I battled with some birds. We had an infestation, a nest uh, in our kind of outdoor area. Um, so I got rid of them, cleaned up all their shit, and put some mesh over the hole. So very, very manly weekend for me. All from from my standards, uh, which you know, Sam's garden away there. I was I was fighting animals to the death, uh, but overall good. Westy, how was your weekend? Uh, it was good, yeah, I've had a busy uh, couple of days, um, I was on holidays, I was off in Stockholm on uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, which was really cool, um, we got, I think we saw like a really uh, like rose-tinted glasses version of it, like because uh, it was like 18, 20 degrees on Thursday and Friday, and apparently that's really unseasonable for Stockholm at this time of year, like it's meant to be quite cold, um, but we got sunburned, um, because typically, of course, like we didn't bring sun cream because it's not a sunny country to go and visit. Um, but yeah, apart from it being 
pretty expensive. It's a really beautiful city. Um, we, had, we had good crack, although they have quite strict drinking laws, which if you're thinking of going there for a big lads weekend or a stag or a hen or something, it's uh, probably not the best destination because we got back to the hotel bar uh, at about 11 o'clock at night on Thursday. And uh, actually, sorry, it was at two minutes past 11 because the bar closed at 11 and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't do a pint for Rightly rest. so. That's the law. Ridiculous. Punctuality. That's mad, carry on. Punctuality. I can't. I can't nope. 10 minutes either side, Irish time. Um, but then, yeah, my nephew's christening was in Dublin on Saturday. So for a second year in a row, I got to be in the heart of South Dublin uh, to watch Leinster lose, which is oh God, they're always gonna, they're gonna thoroughly They're going to come after you now. They will, that's, you're, the pro, you're the problem. Yeah, I am the problem. I'm just like Taylor Swift. Hi, I'm the problem. It's, it's me. you. I've always known it. Uh, I have a public apology to make to you, SD, and to a large section of people. Because uh, for the last two days, I've been rocking out to Loreen Tattoo, the Eurovision uh, song uh, winner. Uh, what an absolute banger. Her other song was a banger too that she won years ago. It's She's great. Eurovision we missed her. They did the homecoming in Stockholm on, ter- on uh, Tuesday and I got there Wednesday. Oh, no way. Missed she's it. from Stockholm. Missed it by that nice. much. You pronounce Stockholm like it's just like west of Claire Morris. Stockholm. Oh, Stockholm, Stockholm because they're from Sweden. That's how they say Stockholm. That's how you say Stockholm. And it's also how you say Schlegel. Uh, that's a coincidence. Yeah, that's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, good good stuff, Wes. You're a well-travelled man these days. Great to see. Um, let's get stuck into the action. We'll start with the Challenge Cup. Uh, we'll briefly go into that because everyone wants to hear us talk about Leinster. Uh, but Toulon are victorious. They come out on top of Glasgow. 43 points, 19 uh, in what was a bit of a dead rubber of a game, what, especially considering what we were hoping for. Um, in the Aviva, though, uh, fantastic crowd, fantastic atmosphere by all accounts, so that was fantastic. But, uh, yeah, Sam, we were kind of hoping for a tighter game than this, and Glasgow just didn't really show up, did they? No, it was, what was it, probably about half an hour before Glasgow did anything. Uh, it was, yeah, it was It was a disappointing one from a URC point of view. I wanted Glasgow to push it. I wanted them, I wanted to see them do well. I wanted to see them kind of continue to develop. Uh, not just winning the Challenge Cup, but you want to see other teams kind of start infiltrating and mixing about. You don't want to just an Irish and South African dominated top eight or whatever. You know, you like to see a Glasgow and a Benetton uh, come and go and one of the Welsh teams maybe come good as well. So I was I was hoping it would really spur them on. But no, I think Toulon were just too good for them on the day. Uh, didn't look like they had to get too far out of third gear really and there was you know a couple of decent performances but all in all it was uh it was pretty kind of disastrous from Glasgow's point of view and I think I said it to you I think that maybe did they just punched themselves out a little too early like they had such a stellar season they played so well and then you know the monster game came like Connacht we we ran them close and it was a strong team it wasn't their full full team but it was very close to a full team in the last day of the season and we ran them very close at home and then Munster did a number on them and I think that maybe they they just run their race a little bit too early and that ability to go deep into, you know, and win finals, that'll take a couple of years to develop. But they got to the final of this one. They got quite far in the league as well. You know, they had a good league campaign. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a disastrous season by any account. But, you know, they would have liked to have topped it off. Toulon just looked like they were on a mission. Uh, and I think a French team like that are just going to be too hard to stop when you get to a final in Europe. You know, we've seen what happened to Leinster as well. They're just... There's been a thing, you know, we said last year, French teams don't take Europe that seriously, or a lot of the French teams traditionally haven't taken it that seriously. But what they do when they get to the semifinals and finals is turn it on and become 
just machines and really, really hard to beat. So, yeah, on the whole, disappointed for Glasgow for it to end the way it did and kind of just also disappointed that the game wasn't overly great. wasn't that exciting. Like, I like a lot of the players that were on show. I like a lot of the the Toulon team. I like IAA West. Uh, you know, you wanted to see him kind of do so well. You want to see him do well as well. Uh, so, yeah, all in all, would have been a little bit better. Uh, it was in the Aviva, which is cool. Uh, I know that they do them the same weekend every year. I was thinking this recently, and would it be worth putting the Challenge Cup in a different stadium in the same city? You know, so maybe kind of making a smaller, maybe like an RDS and an Aviva. So you have like your showcase one in the bigger stadium, and then maybe somewhere else getting a little bit of love as well. Like how how good for a local club would that be to get kind of more bums on seats and get more people in the door for something that people are traveling to. So yeah, that that's what just something I was thinking about after the game. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, but yeah, I think you made a good point with Glasgow. Maybe just, I think that'll stick to them this year. They should progress from that, hopefully, because uh, they're a good team. But Toulon, are, they're a really good team, especially for Challenge Cup. Uh, but Westy, another narrative from this game. Uh, I think in the last three games, 10 opposition players have had HIA incidents against Glasgow. Is that? I think that's too much of a, a a data sample size to not be a coincidence, right? Like, there's, I think tackle technique has to be looked at maybe in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, I think it's um, you know, we're obviously seeing a lot more um cards and sanctions going for for high tackles in general as well, and I think part of it is that the fact that um, now Glasgow's squad isn't very old, but it's not necessarily a young squad, and I think one of the problems there is you've got players who grew up with a different tackle protocol. So what, you know, they've talked about bringing these trial laws now for the younger, um, for underage rugby, where you have to tackle below the sternum, below the the pecs, um, as a way of getting people used to tackling low. And I think maybe, uh, I I don't want to say that they've been coached to tackle high. Like, I I, I really don't want to believe that. So I'd like to believe that it's just kind of a, a slightly older squad and again it's not necessarily that old the average age is probably still only about 26 27 but they did come up at a time um where maybe to tackle height you know you were probably taught that was probably in the early 2000s when you were taught to take man and ball uh, and then against a, a team like Toulon who have that skill got the likes of uh, a Villiers uh, Ches and Colbe like you're going to be going for man and ball when, when those danger guys are carrying so um I don't think uh, I don't think it's necessarily I don't think anybody's gone out there with malice intent. I don't think they've been coached to you know take players out of the game, but it's probably a side. It's probably a combination of um, again age profile makes it sound like they've a squad full of forty year olds, but I don't necessarily mean it that way. I just mean a change in uh, a very sharp change in direction over the last couple of years, um, mixed with obviously the danger that Toulon have in the type of game that they are able to play and trying to contain that ball and, and give them a chance to you know use it to have a big strong kind of pack um or Glasgow have a big strong pack and they'd want to make those hits early and get the ball so they can execute some of that lovely attacking game plan that Nigel Carlin's brought in over the last few years but um yeah and again you have to also account for like there's always going to be that little bit of final jitters like people are going to you know again not panic but um you know we're all capable of letting the occasion get the better of us every so often, I think. So I think there's a few factors there, but um, yeah, I probably would have to, I think they'll have to look at themselves because even if there isn't the directive brought down on top of them, um, the tackle laws are only going to get stricter. So if they don't get a handle on this going into the new season, or again, it, it bodes poorly for Scotland as well going to the World Cup because it will be heavily punished in the World Cup as well, I think. 
yeah, you'll imagine there'll be a massive microscope on it at the World Cup, but I think you're right. I don't think it's like the one that sticks out is the Conor Murray incident. I can't remember the 10's name, but like that's just bad tackle technique. He's not trying to hit Conor Murray in the head there. Like that's he's I coming across right. recklessly. It's, you know, it's not. I don't think there's malice of forethought there. I think it's as I say, it's just the moment and trying to get him down. It's it's something. That, I think you're right. It's 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 very. We won't really see the benefits of the tackle technique changes until the, like the the next generation and even generation after that. But uh, congratulations to Toulon on on, on their victory. And- Sorry, Sam. As well, I think, was that Bastro's last game as professional? I think, did I read that uh, correctly? Is it Parise? Has he done too? I don't think Parise has ever hasn't confirmed yet. He said it's one of his last games. <laughs> one yeah, of his many Biden. last games. 40 years old, that was still going strong. Still, still, mm. has, still has it, though. A little, you know what I mean? Still got it. He still has the big moments, potentially, I think. But he's he's not as big and powerful as he used to be. He's Although actually, I was gonna say he's not as quick. He looked pretty fucking nimble on on Friday from what I saw. But but he um, is he's actually an old man, not like Glasgow squad. He actually genuinely is yeah. forty, whatever age he is. Uh, Sam, do you have any more points on that side before we move on? No, I just I, I was disappointed in the game. I, I kind of wanted to open the weekend with something a bit more, bit more enjoyable and engaging. You know, and I, I'd say it was disappointing from a Glasgow point of view. If you're a Glasgow fan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you'd want, when you get to a final, you kind of want to put a bit more of a fight in that. But look, at it is what it is. Let's go on to the main course of the weekend. We had Leinster, La Rochelle on Saturday uh, in the Aviva. Um, a, a full stadium. I laughed. There was some gobshite Twitter giving out that there wasn't the same crowd as last year. And it was like, it was sold out. And last year was a bigger capacity. <laughs> it was like, what do you want them to do? Put people on the roof? <laughs> like, uh, there's people, people will always find something to give out about. But La Rochelle come out on top by a point. 27 points to 26. Um I mean, Sam, bubble burst. I think we we can all confirm that uh, the bubble has burst. No, I, I'm I don't think it is, Sam. I don't know. Maybe you do think it is. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, first of all, crack of a game. Not necessarily, especially second half wasn't like it wasn't a fantastic rugby on show. But for entertainment and uh, to sit there on the couch and watch it with no real vested interest, it was absolute entertainment. I absolutely loved it. Not lens entertainment, yep. just entertainment. But. Stop pretending you had no vested interest. Well, I You're had money. A- yeah, I had money. Oh, yeah. Let, let's start with that. The absolute disrespect by the bookies to La Rochelle. I, was, I saw it on Friday night. And I think on Friday night, they were 2-1. to one, And I was like, that's I see, even, even that's a bit like, come on. I, like, La Rochelle, like, they're a really good team. They're defending champions. They're, like, the scariest team in club rugby. And it went down to 3-1 to one on Saturday. And I was, sit, I was like, I, like, I get it. Leinster at home. It's Dublin. It's Leinster. They're a really, really good team. But that was disrespectful. Now I only I'm not a big gambler, so I put tenner on it, which I then duly lost in the golf thanks to Rory and Victor Hovland. But um, that was like, come on, lads, that three to one was outrageous. I wasn't being ridiculous there, right? No, not at all. What do you think it got down to after ten minutes? Oh, I, I would have got probably ten to one odds in that stage, yeah, which is a real shame. But um, yeah, first of all, let's let's just talk about the actual spectacle game. Sam, really entertaining game to watch. Yeah, I was, like I was actually tired, kind of watching it. It was it was relentless the entire way through. It was enjoyable. It was two hundred fro, and it was like nail biting towards the end. There was the first fifteen minutes. I was like, oh, here's a blowout. It's getting ruined. But actually, even from that point of view, it was still good rugby. Like the the first try, all the tries in the first 10, 15 minutes were just beautiful. It gives Park's pass out wide was phenomenal. The, the line out move. Uh, I think Raj said after the fact that he knew Goodman was going to throw something in. He just didn't expect it in the first line out after 20 seconds. Uh, but what a move and the timing just 
for Conan to identify for the fake jump, little Ross Maloney kind of pulls Skelton back a little bit with the fake jump, Conan through the middle and back out. It was just, it was a, a brilliant game of rugby for, I say in air quotes, the neutral. Uh, but it was, it was actually just such an enjoyable game of rugby. And one of the, the finals that I've enjoyed the most because oftentimes finals like that Glasgow one can be a bit of a damn squib because there's so much nerves on it. You're expecting it to be this brilliant blowout between the two best teams in Europe and actually we'd say it ends up being cagey. Whereas this one, quite like last year, was again just the stuff that movie writers would dream of, you know, like all of the two and fro and the, the missing, the not taking drop goals, the scoring in the corners, the kicking the point school as you like. It was excellent. It was really, really enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely was. Westy being in the, the belly of the beast, how did you enjoy the game? It's really tough not to cheer for La Rochelle uh, in, in a Dublin household. No, I, it's funny because I was kind of, I was a little bit on the fence. I, I was kind of, I, I was up for La Rochelle, but I also wouldn't have been devastated to see Leinster win it. I think it you know, would only do the Irish team well to have those guys you know, on, on the pig's back going into, uh, into the pre-World Cup. But um, yeah, it was just a really enjoyable game. I mean, it was definitely... As Sam said, that first line out, the, the move through the middle, beautiful, typical Leinster, like shit. I was really like research done, like training ground move right off, uh, and then you know t- to be seventeen nil up. I think, uh, I think in a way they're kind of victims of their own success in that sense because a lot of times, and this could be a lesson for URC teams going forward. Like a lot of times they do that in URC, they're twenty points up after twenty minutes or however much it was, and teams almost think psychologically, oh, we're done now, or they expel all their energy getting back near them and then start running three tries at the end. Um, so I actually think it was one, you know, that's something to keep in mind. I'm not saying every team is a La Rochelle and can do what La Rochelle did. Uh, but yeah, there was a, after those three tries, you think it's uh, typical Leinster. And, but what's funny for me is, you know, okay, La Rochelle didn't have a lot of possession in the first 10, 15 minutes, but even when they started to get possession, I was in a room for people who were like, oh, they've been pushed back. But there was three or four men committing to every tackle from the Leinster side. You start to see that space open up. And I think it's for the second try. Um, I noticed it, but I think they were doing it throughout the game when I watched back. Um, La Rochelle, they weren't quite coming at the side of the ruck, but what they were doing was joining the ruck at the side and then stepping forward when the ball was played, which just gives that defence coming across an extra second and a half to get around you and fold. So it gives a delay of that, which creates a space for, um, definitely for the, the, the 13th try. But... Uh, yeah, Daddy's try was just brilliant as well. But um, I think it was really good game management from La Rochelle. They, they both the time. And it's almost a carbon copy of what they did last year. You know, they won it in almost the last minute of the game. Yeah, like the star from Leinster was, I think, like, probably what they were 17 nil down. I'd say La Rochelle touched the ball maybe five, six times in that passage play. Like the first two tries, it was Dulan just kicked the ball out after catching. And it was try. It was just like, it was it was that quick. Um, and they were 17 nil down Leinster I suppose the only thing like as I was saying to myself at the time like if I was a La Rochelle fan I'm like at least there's 65 minutes left like there's so long left in this game to possibly claw back like if this happens if you're 17 nil down at half time it's just totally different um, and as you said like La Rochelle when they actually got a bit of ball and a bit of possession they did really you know imply themselves and um, like to go in to score that try before half time and to go in instead of what was it within 9 down instead of uh, being sixteen down, and that's like that's such a, mo- a momentum boost. Uh, I wonder, like, it happened so late that try. Like, I'd say Raj had to like change his halftime talk almost because going in sixteen down, you're kind of like, okay, like let's play for pride here, let's win the second half or whatever. 
going in nine down, you're kind of like, you know, we're, this is fine. We're, we're kind of, we're not that far off where we want to be, especially considering the start Leinster had. But um, Sam, at half time when they went in, then nine points down instead of that 16, did you start to think, okay, like this game is far from over? Yeah, I definitely did. I actually, O'Gara actually referenced that in his post-match. I don't know if you heard it. He said uh, he was able to draw on last year because they were eight down at halftime last year. He said that made such a difference for his post-match. He was able to go in and instead of being like, okay, consolidate yourselves, lads, play for pride, he was able to go draw on the inspiration of last year and say, look, this is what we need to do. I think, personally, I feel like Leinster tried to punch La Rochelle out. They tried to move or thought that they would try to move them around. They defended so aggressively. They were up as quick as you can as quick as you like, like Henshaw and Ringrose were making tackles in the backfield all first half, like Westy said. And I think that that backfired because I actually think that they didn't punch them out. They they expected La Rochelle to weaken and they didn't. And then it put Leinster on the back foot for the entire second half. Uh, going into halftime, nine in it, La Rochelle were given huge motivation from that. And they came out and you have to actually hand it to Leinster like the the history books will say that there was a loss. The history books will say there was a 17-point swing from the start, from 11 minutes in. Leinster defended some of the best events I've ever seen for like 20 minutes, 25 minutes after halftime. It was just relentless from La Rochelle. And Leinster couldn't get hold of the ball. They couldn't exit properly. Lowe was kicking it to touch, slicing it. Gibson Park's exit kicks were pretty horrendous. La Rochelle were flying into rooks. Leinster had been flying into rooks. It was... I, I was so impressed by Leinster's ability to keep them out for as long as they did. But while I was watching it, I was just thinking, I've been here with Connick where we defended for 40 phases and then finally 41st one goes through. And you can't criticize that defense. You have to com- like commend the, the 40 odd phases of r- horrendous defending, you know, like really, really horrible digging so deep sort of defending against a team as strong as them. And like people like uh, Dante and people like Will Skelton just running just such hard lines and making a nuisance of themselves at the ruck and you hear all year about how how brilliant Leinster are at ruck time and you know quick two second ball sub three second ball that was slowed down by La Rochelle but also I think Leinster did themselves no favours by flying in as much as they did and tiring themselves out and not being able to get it and it, it didn't look like it changed the game plan it looked like the game plan was changed for them uh, and that was kind of the winning of it so like you said they didn't get that try late on in the first half I don't think La Rochelle have the belief in themselves to be able to push it to the end the way they do. I think that they go out and play for pride and it's a pretty boring second half and Leinster end up kind of just walking over the line and everyone shakes hands at the end of it. So it was it was a huge moment in the entire game and Raj will have used every bit of his experience of a pl- as a player and as a coach to to really get the backs up and to get them out firing because, you know, they came out and there was just non-stop waves. And I've not seen Leinster put to the sword like that all season. You know, they lost last week. Yeah, but they were outside of the Bulls game, which just doesn't count. They were they were put to the sword and they were just, their game was taken away from them. Westy, talk to us about James Ryan, the lost James Ryan in that first half. Uh, I, I don't know, is it, can we underestimate just how important of a loss that was just in terms of well, A, obviously he's a great player, the leader he is, but the physicality that he sets, the tone that he sets to match the La Rochelle's physicality, that ended up being probably a huge loss and possibly one of the reasons it got turned around. Yeah, I, um, like James Ryan is kind of well credited for doing a lot of the good work that you don't really see, that, you know, protecting balls, um, you know, uh, 
making sure uh, facilitating that quick rook ball that Leinster need to attack. You know, and I think that probably the the plan later on in the game was to bring on Jenkins for Maloney. So you kind of get a double uh, double punch there, in that it's you're making change, tactical changes early, and they're not the tactical changes you want to make. Um, I think in that context, you know, Maloney and Jenkins are your muscle. Jenkins is probably brought on to kind of short them up and solidify them at the end when Will Skelton was getting tired. Um, but then you end up with, again, and these are these are vague terms. Right? I'm not saying this is the only thing that they're good at, but you end up with two, let's quote unquote, enforcers on the pitch at the same time, which probably wasn't the way they wanted to go. Um, and I think, yeah, that makes a big difference. I mean, James Ryan is that pack leader. He makes all those decisions. I'm not sure if he, does he directly call the line out himself? Um so when that goes off, a lot of things have to change. I also heard, I only heard this after the game, but apparently Tyke Furlong didn't do the captain's run on the night before. So you've got another leader in that pack um, at half mass, let's say, and then he leaves the pitch pretty early in the second half. Again, it's not, we said it before, like we said a lot with kind of context, you know, when these changes are made, it can be quite disruptive when it's against the game plan. Uh, now, Leinster have the quality in that pack that you would hope that it wouldn't be as disruptive, but... Um, I think, yeah, someone like Ryan in the pack, someone like Furlong a bit later on, and then as well, you know, Henshaw's coming in out the last few weeks and, and seems to be forced off as well. So um, I think the injuries hit them at the wrong times in the wrong positions. And um, is, that, is that a warning? I don't think that in and of itself is is worrying. I just think in this context, um, yeah, they, they lost a little too much too soon that they weren't expecting. To. I thought the James Ryan one, it was a huge loss for them. Where it really looked quite obvious was Will Skelton was going up uncontested at two all day, and he's not going to be easy to get up. And you think, like, if you think of Ryan, you think of a defensive lineout threat. You know, he calls the lineout, but he also is usually up disrupting. And they didn't seem to even bother, and they were given La Rochelle free ball. Now, and I'm not, I'm not one that watches a lot of top fourteen. I don't know is Will Skelton usually thrown up that much, but fuck me, anyone who wants to throw him up consistently for an entire game, that's got to be one of the hardest jobs ever. You can definitely disrupt that if you get up early, but they didn't seem to want to know about it. I don't know if that linked. A single Larachelle lineup. Larachelle were 15 for 15 in terms of lineups. Yeah, and I I think that that is a reflection on the loss of Ryan there because he is integral to Ireland and Leinster's lineup and their calling, and you know, especially on the defensive side of things. Uh, I don't think if he was on the pitch at the time, he would have gotten away with throwing Skelton up so easily too. Let's talk about that because uh, you kind of said Westy and Sam like not not even trying to contest lineouts, you know, having a lead like they did and the second half really a lot of as you said Sam as well a lot of errors, Lowe's kicking and Gibson Park's kicking was poor, not playing kind of the same kind of way of rugby they did in the first half. I don't necessarily agree with this, but like Westy, did Leinster throw this away? Did Leinster bottle this? That's the questions being asked in the media. I, I, what do you think? Um. I don't know. I think it's quite harsh to say they bottled it. I, I think, you know, when people asked me before the game who I thought was going to win, I kind of said that I think on paper, Leinster are probably the better team, but Rogers is a better tactician. I think it just came down to game management in that sense. Um, the kicking game did kind of fall apart, uh, especially towards the end of the second half. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of slices of the ball, a lot of... Um, I think there was two from Gibson Park where he was he brought the ball back inside the twenty-two, so it was out in the full. Um, I think as well, you know, like a lot of people are drawing on uh, that last penalty where Ross Byrne goes to the corner. And again, at the time, I was like, if you have the skills, you take that kick. If you can't take that kick, you go to the corner and set up the drop goal. Um, and I'm not, I'm not trying to create a soundbite or trying to, you know, d- d- take away from anybody's credibility. But I think it's 
it's situations like this that maybe remind us a little bit of why Ross Byrne has struggled to get into Ireland squads in the last few years. I'm, I'm not saying you drop him. I'm not saying he's not good enough to be there. He is good enough to be there. But it was these moments that he was always kind of questioned of. And I think, unfortunately, same with any kicker. You know, he, he misses two conversions in the first half. Right, all his penalties are fine. But then when that difficult penalty comes up at the end, uh, there's doubt in his head. There's doubt in my mind. I was like, he's not going to get that angle go for the corner. Um, so I think... I don't know. It isn't necessarily a case of them bottling it. I think once they had their 17 points, they took their penalties. They played really well to, to build, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I think... I don't even think there was an error of complacency. I was going to say there was, but I'm not even sure there was. I think it's... Um, I think I think on the day, they were just outdone by a point. I mean, there's very little in it. I think um, La Rochelle just seemed to have a plan that like they didn't care that Leinster were going to go as, as Sam said like they were down last year at halftime they didn't care that Leinster were going to go ahead they were, their plan was probably to play harder in, in, in the second half or to manage their game in, in that way so um, I don't know did they, I, don't, I don't think they bottled it I think they I probably slightly underperformed on the day um, but you know I, 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 I struggle to say that they bottled it um, are they wasted like it's wasted a chance of winning a home semi-final but or a home final but you can't knock the effort that the players gave out there and I don't think anybody you know I don't think anybody shied away from anything so I don't think they bottled it I just think unfortunately on the day they were they were out thought out played Sam do you agree with that sentiment like uh, will they look back and think you know a few smarter decisions maybe obviously people are talking about the, the, the chance they didn't take to take a drop goal you know, like I was saying at the time, they went pick and go against, as I said, the most physical club team in the world. Is that was that a smartest decision? What would you have gone for the drop goal there? I think if I'm playing rugby manager, yeah, I definitely would have set up some sort of drop goal uh, position. You know, getting into the getting into the pocket. I think they actually probably would have if Charles Natai didn't pick up five lads and walk twenty yards forward and also go towards the corner. Like that's that changed the face of what they were doing. They had gone once through the middle and then they went kind of left a bit. And I think that they were looking to maybe set it up. Should have probably gone quicker. I think Sexton's on the pitch. They Maybe they do go quicker. But Charles Natai then goes Hulk smash and runs through about five lads and carries them with him and he gets within two yards of the line. And outside of a stupid Alaltoa clear out. And, you know, I don't want to be harsh on individual players. But they'd won that ball. It was fine. And there was no need for it. And it was dangerous. It was like, I think he actually had a good game when he came on. I thought Furlong, like Westy said, he was injured. We, I had heard off a friend from home that he was barely going to make 40. He made 44. And even in that 44, he wasn't the tight Furlong that they needed on the day. It was a risk probably to play him. And it, maybe that backfired. But yeah, outside of Valatoa flying in and uh, hitting someone and it getting checked because of the break in play because the player was down injured I think they get over and I think that this is all up in the air as a question because they look like they were going places they look like for the first time in the entire second half and a lot since they started to string a few play phases together and actually get some front football so it's it's a harsh moment for them I wouldn't go as far to say they bottled it no I think that that's a ridiculously harsh thing to do I think that there was a couple of tactical decisions that I personally as a slob on the couch eating my ice cream watching don't agree with i think that the use of the bench was poor enough they were forced into a change with the the ryan one but you're looking at frawley not coming on uh i think he he could be rightfully pretty pissed and gibson park staying on the pitch too long he was not playing well and he wasn't playing not that he wasn't playing well but he wasn't playing to his ability after you know some good play early on i thought that he was kind of went into a shell a couple of missed kicks a couple of poor passes passed with a 
third try was sensational and there was, you know, I'm not taking away from how good he is, but I think that McGrath could have come on if they were going to continue with the tactic of box kicking, clearing their lines and playing without the ball as much as they did. I think McGrath is probably your better option for that. Uh, and then Keen Healy didn't come on until the Alatoa incident, uh, I'm pretty sure, which is, you know, 79 minutes in. So, you know, Charles Natai coming on at 61 is probably a good move. Henshaw, like Wesley said, he's been in and out with injuries. And I didn't think Lowe was up to it. And if you look at it, he's not played in five weeks. It's, you know, it's there's a couple of decisions there that, in hindsight, you question. Before the game, I think they're all the right decisions. I think you try your hardest to get Lowe on the pitch. You try your hardest to get Furlong on the pitch. And that's what they did. And they just didn't work for them. They were beaten by a better team that were well coached and had belief and also got a bit of the rub of the green. Like, so a couple of decisions could have gone either way with the ref. It was an absolute lottery what was happening in the breakdown. Scrums were mental. Uh, and if Alalatoa doesn't fly in off his feet and hurt someone, they probably get the try and win it. And we're not talking about this. So I don't think it's a bottling. I think it's just a loss and someone has to lose. I really like that Andy Friend quote after the Ulster game where he said to the, he was talking to Dan McFarlane over coffee in the morning and he said, one of us is going to be a hero and one of us is going to be a donkey after this game. That's the way it is. You know, someone has to win a final and someone has to lose a final. And it's just, it's unfortunate from a Leinster point of view that it happened again to the same team in similar circumstances last year because it's going to start compounding onto itself. It's going to become a self, uh, self-fulfilling self prophecy if it, you know if they don't shake it up and you know maybe not play La Rochelle next year. Maybe try someone else. Well, that's, yeah. Look, on the Alan Toa thing, I'm not defending what he did, but it was an absolute, like you could do what you wanted in the breakdown for 79 minutes and he just got caught. Like there was 100% that exact thing that he did was done five times before that in, in the game. It just wasn't picked up. Both ways. Yeah, oh, like, 100%. They were all yeah, look, Lens fans blaming Piper for the loss and La Rochelle giving it like bullshit. He was, he was consistently chaotic. I will give him that Piper. Like he let everything go. Uh, which it resulted in an incredibly physical and uh, entertaining game, but it was crazy. Some of the stuff he let go, but yeah, Alatoa uh, again. I it was stupid. Shouldn't have done it, but I think he will find himself a bit pissed off that he was the one that got caught. And Dante, he should have been shown red. Don't know how that was in a red card. He yeah. got a yellow. Uh, again, craziness. But I think Alatoa was also like I'm not defending what he did. It was a definite red. He's unlucky that the player gets injured and is down because he forces the ref to look at it. Ref's not looking at that except for the fact he has to blow a whistle and then the player's still down. And then, oh my God, Gary Ringrow is like trying to say there was low danger. The lads passed out on the ground as he stretchered off. What are you talking about? Low danger, low degree of danger. Well, clutching at straws, Sam, is what that was. Um, Yeah, yeah, on the bottling thing, I think, I I think, yeah, I think they messed up in some decisions, but like, You've lost two finals by an accumulative four points to the same team in two years' time, over two years. I just like it's so it's so fickle, as you said, Sam. Like they could easily have two, they could have easily won back to back, and they're considered one of the yeah. best club teams in the world, or the best teams ever. It's it's fickle. They'll be one of the favorites next year. They'll probably steamroll through the URC up to a certain point. But again, like they're gonna go trophyless again now for two years in a row. And you look back now, semi final, they rested players against Munster for this. You're gonna come back. Like, what if Munster win the URC title and they win silverware? They've won silverware more recently than Leinster. And I know a lot of people are giving them abuse, but Westy Leinster hold themselves as this elite team. They were they're not hum- they're not overly humble about it. 
Um, obviously Porter's you know quotes beforehand about the stars on the jersey and whatnot. If you want to be the king, you're gonna get a lot of this shit. It kind of comes with the territory, right? Yeah, yeah. And then if you're gonna go on live line on RT Radio One and cry about how no one else in the country supports you, like yeah, I, I'm not um, familiar. I'm seeing tweets. Explain the situation to me. So I I heard I heard a bit of it because I happened to be in the car coming back from the gym. I listened for a couple minutes, but basically it was. Leinster fans were not happy that the rest of the country, particularly Munster, were happy that La Rochelle had won or were cheering for La Rochelle. Like, of all the teams to, first off, you whiny bunch of feckers. Like, what are you doing? Like, cop on to yourself. But of all the teams, it's not like it was an English, it's not like we were all cheering for Saracens, you know? Like, it's, like, I, I'll be honest and honest, once Alton Land came on the pitch, I was like, I want him to score a winning try. Like, I want that for him. He gave so much to Connacht. He's a Connacht, well, he's a monster man, but he's a Connacht man as well. Big fan of Dunnick Ryan back in the day. Big fan of Raj, obviously. Like, you know, it's not a normal situation where we're just rooting against Leinster for the fun of it. Like, the react- people have ties to Larry Most weeks, huh? by the way. Which we do most weeks. Oh, we do, so, yeah. Like, I'm not, not saying we don't, but I'm saying of all the hills to die on, you just pick the wrong one to go on the radio and cry about. Also, I know this has nothing to do with the question, but Jamie Heaslip on RTE given out about the URC not preparing Leinster for the final when he's got knocked out in two semi-finals at home in a row. And they sent a bunch of 12-year-olds to South Africa. Huh? Oh, yeah, exactly. Big opportunity to test your squad and send them on tours to Africa and you send the kids and they get hockeyed. Like, that's, you said it to was, yourself, lads. I had the Jamie Heaslip question coming up, so, uh, yeah. I, I couldn't wait. I'm sorry. I know. I'm sorry. He, it's I just, nonsense. like... Well, it was a great player, but Jesus, he just sums up everything that people hate about Leinster. Like, I, I know it sounds bad, but he was nearly in tears after the game, and I was like, kind of like, not bad. I, I, like, I, I didn't feel bad for him. Let's just say that. Do you know what I mean? But like, they're his mates, right? Like, there he only stopped playing five or six years ago. He's not going to stand there and say, "Oh yeah, like, you know, James Owen, Ross Burnley, Gibson Park really bottled those kicks in the second half." He's not. He doesn't criticize his mates. He goes down and says, "No, the league doesn't prepare them well enough for knockout rugby." It's not got rugby in the league. They haven't been good enough two years in a row at it. Like, to take pot shots, grand, fair enough, they walked the league. They did draw with Stormers in the RDS, by the way, and they, as you guys said, they lost the tour in South Africa. Like, you can't not, sit there and tell me that... To the final of the URC, to lose in the yeah, semi-final. <laughs> two years in a row. They lost the semi-final last year as well to Stormers. You can't... And honestly, like, there's a question here as well. The only thing I will say to them is, you can't, you can't only pick your best team for one game. Like... Honestly, if you can't play your best team three weeks in a row, you've got a serious problem. Can't have to do it nearly every other week. We don't have the luxury of rotating other Ireland internationals in for starting Ireland internationals, you know? If they're going to go that run of semi-final, final, final, not playing a consistent team, you can't whine when your team aren't prepared. And it, that actually is so funny because it's counterintuitive if you look at their, he's saying that their league isn't preparing and that they're not getting enough game time. Well, they could play every week if they wanted, like La Rochelle do. La Rochelle is a much more attritional league. We'll give the top 14 that. So they have to play every week, and that seems to stand to them when it comes to these sort of situations. So maybe if you if you gave it from a pundit's point of view, you gave the league a bit more standing, it would force kind of, you know, and start kind of, you know, talking with your wallet. If, if you're going to go and see Leinster and get annoyed that they're not getting prepared by the URC, then then stop paying for it and allow them to, you know, force their hand and make them play the players a bit more often if they can. Because it's I think it's so it's so dismissive of the league. The league has been brilliant this uh, last two years with the introduction of South African teams, you know, and uh, it's only going from strength to strength. And you're seeing even talk of investment in the South African franchises. Uh they're probably looking at they're looking at big money windfalls. So they're going to be even stronger again. So 
don't send your 12 year olds there and then have pundits given out about it. And I know that's not actually Leinster being represented there. That's not Leinster saying that. And that's not a lot of the Leinster fans that we know and talk to saying that as well. That's Jamie Heaslip, who I just in, I don't like being harsh on individuals, but he's a God awful pundit as are quite a lot of pundits. And I will just die on the, I will watch TG car over any other channel. And even if you don't, and I do understand it, fluent Irish, but if you don't understand, it, I actually think you get more from watching TG Car than you do from RT or Virgin or BT. It's just better all round experience. I I watch TG Car. I don't I, I don't know any of the Irish, but it's again it's it's actually a great way because you consume the game without bias or you know kind of you kind of consume it as you see it. But yeah, look, he's the, we know loads of great Lancer fans. We know Keno, Tom Coleman, Harpin, Jay Long. These lads are the proper Lancer fans and I felt for them at the weekend because they care so much and I really did uh, I really did um it's it's the he slips it's they and again it's like everything it's the small majority uh, minority sorry that ruins it for everybody else but like he slip has been nothing but condescending towards other provinces towards the URC to like the Connacht Ulster Munster players on the Irish team at times um so yeah like when you fuck up in the final and don't win yeah, people aren't going to be too uh, too sorry for you. And that's just, unfortunately, the way of the world. But, again, like, I've seen yeah. some outrageous... People are coming for a ring row saying that he's not a world-class 13 anymore. Like, let's not judge all the Leinster players also on this one game. Uh, let's also, like, keep level heads about that too, you know? But let's. I want to ask this question, lads. And I'm sorry for bringing this up and bringing it back to Connacht. That was Jack Carty that missed the kicks that Ross Byrne missed. Uh, how would that be uh, brought up in the media? Yeah, it's an ongoing thing where fly halves make mistakes every game, but you watch your fly half more. So it kind of it, it exacerbates the issue. Uh, I think personally, if I was Frawley, I'd be raging I didn't get on because I think Frawley has shown time and time again that he's good enough. He's not played enough 10 really to be considered the next in line for the Irish 10 situation. But there is talk that that is the case and he's there He's in the 23 by some accounts. Harry Byrne was deemed not fit enough, but would have been in the 23. Would he have come on if they need to be? Do they not trust Frawley? If that's the case, I and I was Frawley, I would hightail it out of there because they can trust him in 99% of their games in a season, but he's the only one that doesn't come off the bench. I think that's a bit of a kick in the teeth. Uh, back to your point, if Carty had missed them and it was in such a big game, there would be talk about whether or not he's got the mental stones to do it. And I think that that is the unfair side of all of this, I think that players get criticised off the back of one or two little moments like that, and they get some personal abuse about it as well, uh, which is just not fair at all. But it's yeah, it would be it would be deemed different as we have seen many a time in the mainstream media, one publication more than others, but in quite a lot of different media outlets, players that wear blue can get away with a little bit more. I'm sure you're going to talk about the potential of the spat at halftime. We don't know what the exact ins and outs of that are, but Jesus Christ, Bundy would have been on the first plane to New Zealand if off the ball heard he was given out in a final to the referee. Well, that, that was my next question. If Bundy had have not played in the final, stormed up the referee after the game, and came out stink again, how would that be portrayed in the media? Sexton obviously yeah, was was that was the report. There was a report at halftime. I don't think there was a scuffle at halftime. It was just they were standing outside referees' room. Skelton, O'Gara, Sexton, and O'Brien, I think, are the culprits named. But look at Sexton again. Uh, it's always a question of you know, there's a bad side to him, but does the good side exist without the bad side? Probably not. That's what makes him tick. 
I just, it's, again, it's very hard to say this in hindsight in the heat of the moment, but there's just no need to do it. The game's over. Piper's not going to be like, oh, no, actually, let's play another five minutes. You're right, Johnny. Like, it's just, that's just not happening, and you're only going to look bad. And it does look bad. He doesn't need to do that. There's going to be sanctions. I don't think there's any going to be repercussions for a World Cup, is there? If he's banned, he might be able to do warm-up games. I don't know. I, I doubt they'd have the ball to ban him for the World Cup. Um, and I don't even think that he necessarily deserves that, but... You do have to do something about it. But like like that, Westy, it's just... It all comes down to... It's just not a good look. Why are you doing this? Like, there is something about losing gracefully, right? Yeah, of course. And I think that's the only way... That's the only way you progress is losing gracefully. If And again, this isn't a criticism of necessarily... Well, necessarily all of the players. As you say, there, there are aspects and there are certain people on that team who are accused of saying things to the ref after the game who are in their late 30s who, you know, when they carry on like a petulant child, it doesn't make anybody look... It makes the whole organisation look bad, in fairness. It, it's not it's not just that one player. It's Leinster, you know, that, that unfortunately get talked about as a whole. When we know that, you know, the 23... Did they use all 23, 22 players that they use, 22 players that they use, all gave everything on that pitch for that game. And when you have people who are meant to be senior and people who are meant to be coaches, you know, again, behaving like children, it, it, it takes away from it. And that, I'm sorry, like, that is the reason people don't want Leinster to win. Like, that sort of reaction, if, if you want to win over the neutral fan, that's not the way to do it, you know? The, the way to do it is to, is to take your lumps. Like, look at, uh, look at La Rochelle in the final uh, three years ago. Do you know, they lost and Raj didn't go, well, like, somebody will try to send me a clip now, Raj freaking out the change room or something. But... He served 16 weeks worth of bans this year for right. abusing refs. <laughs> okay, so he's the wrong example to go with. But, you know, I think once you start going after officials and going after, you know, let's say the uh, the support system of the game, you're going to you're gonna lose more fans than you get, you know? And I say, it's not the fans that we know. It's not the fans. It's not the people who really care about the rugby that go on about it. It's the people who, um, you know, who, who like the occasion or who, who like to follow the winning team who then, you know, get sour grapes when their team loses, you know? It's also, it's, it is still on, ongoing. Like, there's been very little actual reports on what happened. Uh, it was blown up by one tweet from Rory O'Connor and you said, oh, Sexton went after ref, but... I've not seen anything, and yeah, but from O'Connor what we loves Lenser, he's not going to tweet. That oh, out. I know, yeah. It's most likely there is a lot of substance to it. Most likely, but it is it is funny that we haven't actually seen anything since, and I've been trying to find some sort of footage of it. But from from what we hear, that it's just it's an investigation going on, and I don't know if that investigation is solely to do with after the match or also to do with the supposed argument in the in the tunnel. But whatever it is, it'll be, we'll be watching it anyway, fairly eyes on because. You know, if they do want to make some sort of statement and they slap something big on Sexton, which I really doubt they would, but if they did, that would have huge repercussions for Ireland. But I, I think at the end of this, it's just going to be slapping the wrist, maybe a fine or something. I don't think there's anything going to come, if anything does come out. Yeah, well, look, people are going to bring up um, uh, the Razzie stuff and say that you kind of have to, I don't know, I don't, we'll, we'll, we'll follow it. But look, we've talked enough about Leinster and negativity. Let's look at the positives. Uh, O'Gara, you know, Dunica Ryan, two-time now coaches, winners of the of the Champions Cup as coaches. Uh, O'Gara can do no wrong, really, in a lot of ways in terms of uh, his standing now within the game. Um, I mean, obviously, Farrell has plenty of years left on his contracts for Ireland, but does the RFU have to get O'Gara in after Farrell? I'm not saying Farrell needs to go. Obviously, Farrell can stay as long as he wants currently, but uh, like Westy, does O'Gara have to be that next that next coach? 
Um, I don't know if he does have to be the next coach. Um, at the minute, he'd probably be the most likely to be the next coach. If if for some reason Andy Farrell had to pull out, you know, he'd probably go to Raj. But by all accounts, you know, he's loving living in France. Um, the kids are in school in France. He's not going to want to uproot them necessarily unless he has to. Um, he's on to a good thing in La Rochelle. I, I think he he's talked a lot this week about building a, a dynasty and you know building a, a a big club in Europe. So I don't know how eager he'd be to walk away from that. Like I know, like I know your reference in the interview. He said, like, of course, being the Ireland coach is the goal. But also in all those interviews, he's made no claims that he wants it anytime soon. So um, I'd say it, he's probably next in line. Um, but I don't think he's necessarily looking for houses in. In West Cork, just yet, you know, I think he's, uh, I think he's happy where he is. I think he's doing really well. I, like he, you have to remember, he's director of rugby in La Rochelle. He's not necessarily just head coach, so um, he has a big say in the overall direction that the club is going in, and he'll get to recruit now any way that he wants and the way that he wants to build. So um, they're still in the running for the top fourteen. By all accounts, they'll probably have a, I think it's a home semi, a home quarter final. I'm not fully sure how they, um, how the permutations work. I think they've one week left to go. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think I-, I don't see him picking up sticks and demanding Danny Farrell's resignation anytime soon. What we could well see is if Farrell stays on for another, like let's say, World Cup uh, cycle, you could see Raj or Raj Raj come in as a uh, as a as a, a forward coach or a backup coach or something like that. Although I I wouldn't necessarily see him taking a backup role, but um, I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. But yeah, I think I don't think anybody at this stage would be upset to to see O'Gara take the... Well, Leicester maybe right now for the first couple of days, but uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure it wouldn't last. Yeah, I think... Uh, no, it won't happen for a while because Farrell, Farrell's contracted until... Is he contracted in the next World Cup? I guess 2025, right. is it? He signed an extension anyway. Signed I can't remember when it was. I think he's two, at least two years after the World Cup, I think he's, he's signed to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Obviously, contracts are always there to be broken, but uh, that's not the case, hopefully, with this one. Um Sam, we will wrap up the Champions Cup coverage there. So congratulations to La Rochelle. And we'll bring it back closer to home. We had some Connacht news during the week. Connacht made their last signing uh, of the year. JJ Hanran has joined Connacht from the Dragons on a two-year contract. Um, and yeah, he's coming in as a, as a 10. Obviously, we're all very familiar with JJ from his time at Munster. Um, are you happy, happy with this move? Yeah, really happy. I've been saying it for... It got to be a year. He signed for Dragons last year, and I said that that would have been a good pickup for Connick. Not because I rated him too highly. Like I've been critical of his game, especially when he was at Munster. I didn't think, you know, I didn't think he was as good as some Munster fans kind of thought at the time. And I thought that there was moments when I'd said he wouldn't be a first choice for Munster if Munster had their eyes on pushing for glory. And I think that, that ended up being the case. He went, he went off to Claremont, and then he went to Dragons. But I think he's a very good, well-seasoned professional. He's the same age as Jack Carty. He's played, you know, across three leagues now. Uh, and Dragons is like, I know it's the same league as Munster, but it's another It's another experience. He's Irish qualified. I think he's a, he's an upgrade on Fitzy. You know, I like Fitzy a lot, but I think that he is, without a doubt, an upgrade on Fitzy. I think he's the type of personality that'll come in. And he will be a good backup slash competition for Jack's 10 place, which I think can only bring the best out of both himself and Jack. So it's it's a win for Connacht. You get an upgrade in a position that you were questioning. You you our backup 10 was always in question. It's a good stopgap for the likes of Ford or West to come through and to make that big step up because it's too early for them to be, you know, slung the reins as a, a backup or a starting 10. 
I think that it will help to bring the best out of Jack. And if not, it's a good player. I've seen a good bit of him when he's a Claremont. A little bit of Dragons earlier on in the season. He was he's a good running, quick pace player. Same kind of kicking game as Carty. I think himself, uh, Hawkshaw Carty will be quite a good trio of tens to have. And then West coming through for a couple of games this season as well. So all in all, it's a good signing. Uh, and I, I predicted it. And I think that if Pete Wilkins wants to hire me as some sort of finding Irish qualified players in the Premiership, Pro D and Championship, I can be that guy because I spend most of my day looking for them and looking on, ooh, there's a scrum half here who's Irish qualified. I wonder if he's any good. Uh, so that's, uh, I think it's I think it's a good sign. I think that it's, it's like we talked about with a couple of sevens players, the likes of Smith, who we're actually hearing is really highly t- touted in one world where Irish sevens player of the year. Uh, we're bringing up our floor. Our backups are getting better. Our overall squad depth is getting better. And he's very experienced. So if you lose Jack for a couple of weeks, it's an excellent player to come in and to to play. And I do think that he will want to push Jack. He's not coming in to be a, a sub, which is ideal. That's what you want in your tens. Absolutely. I think that's, yeah, exactly. And I will say, you did predict it, but you, you, you throw a lot of shit at the wall, Sam. You know what I mean? Some of it's going to stick eventually. Uh, I've been saying him a lot, though. I've have, been saying I'm he not to denying that. Fit. I'm willing to give you your props, but let's not let's not pretend you've a, you have a thousand percent batting average here. You know what I mean? Just just keep. I got him. I got him. I got Joyce. I got I got a good one. I got a few good ones. Yeah, you do, you do. But I agree. I agree totally, Wesley. I think you probably agree with sentiment as well. We don't want him coming in here like thinking Jack's number taking one. Taking our women, want. taking our jobs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Peeing in the pool. Um, uh, <laughs> we want him coming in here eyeing that starting jersey. Um, yeah, we do. I mean, that's exactly what. And I think, as I say, he's only what, 29, 30. Like, he's he's by no means at the back end. Well, he's towards the end of his back end of his career. But he's no means at the end of his career. Um, and he, you know, he was pretty highly rated when he left Claremont, you know. Like, um, he was a pretty big coup for Dragons to get him. Um, I think he was working his way back. And I think, um, well, I still think Carthy is, is, is a better overall player. Um I think it's good to have someone appear to challenge him necessarily. As we know, Hawks just that little bit younger. He's still flirting kind of with uh, with uh, with ten and twelve. Um, so another out and out ten uh, who can push Jack gains where we can maybe uh, you know change our ten with with twenty minutes, half an hour to go, and change the point of attack a little bit, change the picture that the defense or that the attack is looking at. I think that's uh, something that we haven't really had in contact for a long time is the ability to um, to switch a game like that, and I think that. You can do that with a player like JJ Hanran. I, I don't think he's necessarily in the last kind of two or three years, or even when we left Munster, like he, he wasn't necessarily going to set the world alight. But I think with the right, with the right coaches, with the right room in front of him, with the right kind of motivation, I think he can he can push on and be a challenge for Jack. And you know, hopefully, we'll see that become an interesting dynamic as as the season moves on, as well as being a, a different route we can take uh, in games. I do want to say there was one other signing that you didn't mention. And that was the signing of Macron as the kit sponsor. Oh yeah, that was just announced mm. today. Yeah, I'm yeah. yeah, I'm excited. Like, Connor has a nice jersey in the last couple of years, but like, you know, could they be better? Also, yeah. So that's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm always a big fan of what the subs and coaches of Italy are wearing. So that's what I'm excited for. I'm excited for the gear, not necessarily the, the jerseys are one thing, but the the stuff I can wear around. Macron also usually do it. They usually do a great collar on the jerseys. I'm excited for that to come back. I miss a collar on a rugby jersey. And you know, as a cheapskate, as a cheapskate, I'm looking forward to the massive clearance sales on the BLK stuff. Uh, whenever that comes, they're all they're all 
on clearance in Elbury's they're already not, like no, yeah but they're all kid shit and then like massive jackets and I'm like where's the tracks with bottoms do you know what I mean give me the tracks with bottoms Sam but the new era the new era gear they brought out there a few months ago won't be on set no and it's co- they're cotton bottoms I want the polyester shit give me the polyester shit Westy you know a polyester guy I just need a few bur- pairs of shorts got my different types of shorts long shorts short shorts that's all I got mid shorts Sal's uh, banging on a cock speedo from uh, from background <laughs> oh yeah well, who says no who says no <laughs> uh, okay lads we'll wrap it up there I'm calling next week we're going to be with a cock season review pod uh, so get studied. Are we are we not addressing the fact that Munster have to go to the Stormers play a final oh, this yeah, weekend? Oh yeah, they do. Sorry, I totally forgot about <laughs> the that. The Munster fans already Apologies, don't like Munster us. fans. Apologies. Apologies. Yes, yes. Well, yeah, we'll we'll be back next week to re- 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 recap it all. And uh, but yeah, the the URC final is this Saturday. Uh, what time? It must be probably five o'clock. No, three o'clock probably kickoff. It's half past oh, five, is it? Because the Premiership's at half past five. Okay, half past five. Yeah, is it so four? Half four and five. I mean, five thirty. Five thirty local time. I don't know is that local time or not. It's I, I can never tell. I was just hope for the best. Uh, uh, I can't see it being rumor, a half four kickoff Irish time. That doesn't seem like it'd be right. So I'd say it's half. Rumor. Five. Rumor has it five thousand monster fans making the journey or will be there. That's incredible. Uh, incredible. One thing you like, can never like, argue about monster. The support is there. They will. It will half of South Africa are monster fans as well. So I'm not. I'm not they're not all come from Ireland. Okay. Uh, yeah, big final that weekend. Actually, looking forward to watching that because that should be another war of attrition between uh, Munster and Stormers. Tidy squad going down as well. A couple of big names back fit as well. So it's it's gonna be good. Like you know, the the panic fan in me just doesn't want Munster to take us over as the last team other than Leinster to win a trophy. So it's probably gonna have to root for Stormers, which is so harsh. Yeah, <laughs> but, I'm also worried yeah, about the the state of the pitch. I'm worried we might lose. We might lose Craig Casey in one of the holes. Do you know what I mean? There's so <laughs> many. There's so many potentials. Banana skins here. Um, I, I, the fact that there was a quote out from like, I don't know, if it was the head coach of Stormers or like the president, but he's like, yeah, since the since the monster jam, <laughs> like the monster trucks yeah. went on the pitch, they're really struggling. And you're truck. like, that's is that a sentence I just read? From a rugby team that since the monster jam we haven't recovered the pitch. You're like, yeah, and newsflash: don't have a monster uh, truck rally on your pitch. Doesn't go well. It tends to be anyway. Uh, but yeah, sorry. So yeah, I did. We did forget to mention the monster game. We. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best monster of this weekend. I can't promise the same. Oh uh, I can't promise the same for my colleagues here. But uh, so we will be watching in earnest. So we'll be back next week. Yeah, next next week we'll recap that and we will do uh, a review pod for the season. Uh, so yeah, get studying, lads. Um, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna quiz you on every scoreline from the season. No, I'm not. God, that would be the worst podcast of all time. Uh, but yeah, lads, appreciate it as always, and we'll catch us next week. Night night.